the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back. Wednesday, January 25th, 2023. I am Seth Liebson. We have uh, associate producer David Dahl in the house. We have general and chair and CEO producer uh, Bill in the house, who just did me a really wrong turn. Not nice what you just did. I, I work in what's like a skiff here. It's not exactly a skiff, but it is soundproof <laughs> and uh, and every other kind of proof. He comes in with a plate of chimichangas and beans and rice, and it looked great. And I don't know how many of you know, but I don't I don't eat during the day, and which means I'm always hungry. <laughs> you just left that wafting, beautiful wafting smell of chimichanga in the studio as uh, as I consume muscle here. Great call yesterday. I wish we uh, could have spent an hour on. Perhaps we can spend more time on it today or even this week. The caller asked how we reach people like his wife, who are generally centrists or center-right, and you don't, don't really listen to talk radio or watch Fox News, don't get the conservative message. And we often hear a variation on this, asking what is the point of talking to only those of us that already agree, and not... Everyone in this audience is uh, preternaturally a, a conservative or in already agreement for one. And that's true of most talk radio audiences that I know of. But I've also long ago accepted a couple of civilly disobedient notions. The first from Gandhi. Uh, Whatever you do may seem insignificant, he said, but it is very important that you do it. The other from the 1960s, uh, which I say much more often, each one reach one or each one teach one. You never know who is in your audience. You never know who they may know. You never know what might break through to one of them. You keep at it. You keep at it. And you think about always evangelizing our message. It is about saving our country after all. Something second only and to many equally important to evangelizing for your God and your faith. After all, if this place falls... Good luck being able to evangelize for faith and God. We are, after all, up against a movement that sees religion as sane societies used to see drug dealers, as an opiate of the masses. You know, my great or greatest worry in politics is not the committed leftist or Democrat. It's nearly exactly the person our caller described, the somewhat but not completely informed mom, let's say, whose child comes home with a notice from their school about a new curriculum that was just adopted to better teach things like equity and non-discrimination amongst those who question their born sex or perhaps even their race. And the mom, who's heard a few things here and there, likely from something on CNN or NPR, says, oh, yeah, I've heard of doing this. Equity. Good. Protecting children. Great. Glad we're getting on board. Equity is a nice sounding word. So is gender affirming a nice sounding phrase. But they have these words and phrases, something in back of them, pushing them, promoting them, that is anything but good or even decent. Equity is not equality, and gender-affirming is another Orwellian wordplay or word twist, as we discussed yesterday. It means the exact opposite of what it actually says. It's not affirming 
gender. Gender. It's changing gender or changing sex. It's not affirming it. It's changing it. This is how they get you. Remember when the left cared about anti-Semitism's rise? The year was 2017 and 2018. And it was attributed to Donald Trump. That's why they could care about it. Remember the conscientious attention paid to anti-Asian sentiment, also attributed to Donald Trump, especially when COVID became news and he was blaming China and people like Nancy Pelosi and Bill de Blasio, Soto and Forte, Forte Voce said, nothing to fear. Come to Chinatown. Come out and celebrate the Chinese New Year. Congregate. Don't let Trump punish Asians with racism. Remember when Andrew Cuomo said it was a European virus, not an Asian virus? Remember when leftists on NBC said we don't name viruses after geographies from where they come? (laughs) Well, anti-Semitism has ballooned since 2020, and so has anti-Asian racism and hate crimes. And not a peep about any of it being Joe Biden's fault. Of course not. But if you just got your news from CNN or NPR, you would likely not know any of this. What would you would know is that Trump was an anti-Semite and anti-Asian. You wouldn't even know about the rise of anti-Semitism and anti-Asian sentiment and hate crimes in this country since Joe Biden became president. And you also probably knew that Donald Trump was anti-gay, though he, not Joe Biden, put the first openly gay American on his cabinet. Yeah. Sorry to break it to you. Pete Buttigieg is not the first. But again, if you listen to NPR or CNN, you would not know that because Trump hated Jews, Asians and gays and crimes against them were his fault. But though greater now, like covid deaths as well, it's not and never Biden's fault or responsibility. Anyway, I'm departing, reaching through the fog and teaching through it just as important. It's all our job and it needs to be unrelenting or unremitting. And it's our party's job. Our party's job, as I mentioned yesterday, the Democrats are all set with their candidates for the with their candidate. Sorry, they're all set with their candidate for the U.S. Senate race here. They've cleared the field. And cue the news stories today on the likelihood of how well that Democrat will do in the race. We Republicans, we don't do candidate recruitment. We don't clear fields for good candidates. We slay ourselves. We implant resentments in the primaries supporter against supporter, donor against donor, and end up where we are. You can read those stories, paper today, too. We have a duty in this realm, a duty to see things for how they really are and equally to explain them. We have a duty, yes, to have open minds, but not so open that our brains fall out. We have a duty to follow the rule William Buckley articulated that the most conservative candidate that can be elected should garner our support. We have a duty to win because we all have a duty to back to where I started to save this blessed plot, this earth, this realm. It's not just about saving the United States of America as a geographical plot when I say that or as an edifice or structure. It's not just about saving a country. It's about asking what kind of country we will have and what kind of country we want to save. What kind of country are we trying to save? What is it we are trying to preserve or, if you prefer, conserve? And what kind of countrymen do we want to help grow and nurture? Gavin Newsom made a lot of news two days ago for saying the Second Amendment is a suicide pact. Said it on TV. 
in uh, some B-roll tape with Nora O'Donnell. As he said that to Nora O'Donnell while they were walking, he was surrounded by armed guards. Who pointed that out? Not Nora O'Donnell. All of this in the context of some terrible shootings in California. But this story just came out. This one. Get the headline. Quote, violence among children has soared across the country since 2020. A stark reversal of decades long decline in juvenile crime. Close quote. I saw it in one headline in one paper. Nowhere else. I don't know how many of you who don't listen to this show have seen it or heard it anywhere else. Is that not the biggest story? Violence among children has soared across this country since 2020, which is a stark reversal of decades-long decline in juvenile crime. Who's connecting dots and asking about what we are doing to children? Who's connecting dots and asking about what adults are in front of them in our schools at their youngest grades like kindergarten? If you are the vice president or the White House press secretary, you target Ron DeSantis, as they have for the past three days, saying that DeSantis wants to make you uncomfortable for who you are and ban the teaching of black history. All false. They they say he wants to ban books. All false. Is it banning art to keep X-rated movies out of kindergarten? Is it banning history? To not play The Birth of a Nation, a KKK documentary history of the United States that Woodrow Wilson promoted and played at the White House? Is it, is it banning documentaries and films of historic import by not allowing that in our schools? Is it making children uncomfortable to tell teachers to stop discussing their sex lives and love lives with five-year-olds in their classrooms? By the way, just an interesting note. Have you ever seen a kid complaining that teachers can't do that anymore? I don't. I didn't. I saw teachers complaining that they couldn't do that. Didn't see kids complaining that they weren't being told about that anymore. And by the way, can anyone remember ever in a non-election year, a vice president and White House press secretary politically attacking a governor? Note, by the way, that press secretary, Karen Jean-Pierre, whenever she's asked an uncomfortable question that might have political implications, usually by Peter Ducey, sometimes by someone else, if it's uncomfortable for her. You, you Remember what she says? You may have let it pass over you because it's kind of recondite, but pay attention. She says, because of the Hatch Act, I'm not allowed to speak to that. What is the Hatch Act? The Hatch Act prevents federal employees from engaging in politicking. And it's just a handy card for her to play when she doesn't want to answer a question that is too political for her tastes. When it comes to Ron DeSantis, she never hesitates to go right to it. She doesn't mention the Hatch Act. You know why? To the left and the Democrats today, that stuff is not political. It's not politics. It's the way it should be. It's the right and default position. It's like criticizing the notion that two plus two equals five when Democrats critique the likes of DeSantis or conservatism. And when Republicans speak to the left, it's the notion that we are denying that two plus two equals four. Their positions are beyond politics. They see them as Euclidean proofs. 
You know how you know they're wrong and you're right? Because they change and have to change the language to get to their theorems or axioms, Mon K. Like the phrase gender affirming, which is exactly its opposite. So does anyone ask how we are using our children to soothe anxieties of adults by foisting adult anxieties on them and then wondering how is it that our kids are acting out in ways they never have before? Is it not shocking? And that's the word if it still holds its value. Is it not shocking that teachers can conceal from parents the parents' child's efforts to change their sex and gender? And by the way, does anyone ever ask an elementary and fundamental question? Who gave the child the idea they could actually do that in the first place? This shouldn't be complicated. But pseudo-sophisticates who think they have the power to overcome nature make it so. They have to make it so. And all the time, such is the tragic comedy of our situation. We continue to clamor for those very qualities we are rendering impossible. In a sort of ghastly simplicity, we remove the organ and demand the function. We make men without chests and expect of them virtue and enterprise. We laugh at honor and are shocked to find traitors in our midst. We castrate and build, bid the geldings be fruitful. This morning, Dennis Prager put it that we live in a world and age that denies the obvious. There's a volume of logic in that. Irving Crystal put it that for those who lack the will to see things as they really are, there's nothing quite so mystifying as the obvious. Anyway, just a few thoughts. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960 is uh, the number. Uh, Kevin McCarthy uh, has been getting a lot of attention today, Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, all the good kind of attention, uh, first by uh, trying to remove and I think successfully removing Eric Swalwell and Adam Schiff from House Intelligence Committee and now making the move to uh, remove Ilan Omar from uh, Foreign Relations or Foreign Affairs Committee. Uh, the Intel Committee fight is probably going to, you know, we'll talk to John Shattuck a little bit more about this in the thir third hour, but the, the, the removal of Swalwell and Schiff is probably going to be less of a fight than the removal of Ilan Omar. Um, and already I am reading that there are some Republicans who are against the removal of Ilan Omar. I have no use for them. Um, they're just cowards. And here's why it's going to be and precisely why it's going to be a bigger fight. Ilan Omar has – we've talked to Ben Weingarten a lot about this. He has the book – he literally has wrote a book about her and this issue – Ilan Omar has been very useful for the Democrats in raising money and weaponizing the issue of race against the Republicans, race and gender against the Republicans. And it's this odd territory that we have been pushed into. We have never wanted. We have never sought. It's this odd territory that simply because someone is of X minority features or ex-minority status, to criticize them on the merits of what they say and do is to ipso facto or automatically be a bigot or a racist. The mirror image of this, of course, you will sometimes see in sociology 
in political science and anthropology departments that, and you hear it from Ibram Kendi at Boston University, that you can't be a racist if you're of a particular minority. It's just not possible because you don't have the power and privilege to wage racism, which automatically gets you the exemptions for people like Louis Farrakhan. Well, how can he be a racist? He's an African-American. He can't be a racist, of course. He can't be a bigot. He doesn't have power. Oh, he has power. He has power, and so does Ilan Omar. And it has long been the position, conservative movement, Republican Party, that we really don't give two hoots. We don't give one hoot. We don't give a quarter of a hoot of what race you are or what ethnicity you are. If you're going to say bigoted things, we're going to call you out. If you're going to say racist things, we're going to call you out. And I suppose in some ways, this is the, um, can I put it this way, the the tribute that vice takes from virtue when the Democrats pick up on that and weaponize an individual wrongdoers or an individual bigots race against Republicans because we're calling them out for what they said, not who they are, and they try and make it about who they are. This too, however, if we can prevail on this, if we can hold strong and stand strong on this and continue to contain our commitment to the merits of what people say and what they do rather than how they were born, if we can continue to hold that strength, if we can continue to carry that banner, if we can continue to do so unflaggingly, we may win. We may win and show that the Democrats are going to have to start paying a price for playing this game. And it is a game that they do play. It's a game they don't have to play. When people tell me that the Democratic Party isn't a socialist party, isn't a left-wing party, they have no answer for my question, which is this. Then how is it that when Ilan Omar was challenged in a Democratic primary by a non-socialist Democrat, even by a member of a minority race, the Democratic Party and the Speaker of the House endorsed Ilan Omar and spent money on defending Ilan Omar in that primary race. It's a shameful party. The only way we will become a shameful party is if we cave to the Democrats' game here. Then we will become shameful too. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. John Dombrowski is the president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. His website, grandcanyonplanning.com, where you can reach out to him. He is also the host of a radio show heard here every Saturday morning at 7 a.m., The Word on Wealth. John, how are you today? Fantastic, Seth. How are you? I'm doing just fine. Thank you. Talk to me about today's developments. There's some interesting stuff going on here. So we had a, a, a pretty big sell-off in the market yeah. today, uh, but uh, it retraced, and uh, actually the Dow closed slightly higher today, and the other indexes, the major indexes, S&P and the NASDAQ, were just down slightly. 
Uh, it was kind of interesting to watch. I mean, yesterday we saw after um, the market closed, we had some big names reporting, but Microsoft was the big one. Yeah. Uh, it seemed to be a mixed kind of a report. Uh, they beat on some of their uh, numbers, but uh, their forecasting was uh, a little bit light, expecting a little bit of a slowdown. Uh, but then, you know, we saw the markets open uh, lower because of that, and now we saw them continue to fall. But, um, you know, as the day went on, buyers came in again, and uh, a little bit of a rally occurred uh, and into the close, which uh, was, was kind of nice to see. Now, after the close, we had some more reporting by IBM, which did very well, beat on uh, their numbers, and then also Tesla came up with some uh, great numbers. But... Um, it's interesting because Tesla, we talk about them a lot, yeah. big, big growth uh, company, car company. But it, it showed a record profit, but yeah. the headline is it warns of uncertainties, right? Yeah, warns of uncertainties. However, uh, they do predict that they're going to have uh, uh, an increase. So they delivered 1.31 million vehicles in 2022, and they're saying that they're planning on about 1.8 million vehicles for 2023. And factory expansions to meet those needs, right? Yep, factory expansions to meet them, yes, as well as a couple of factories, uh, battery factories, I think, in Nevada. Yep. Um, but, you know, they've been touting growth rate of about 50% annually. If they did 1.8 million, they're stating here in this that that would be about a 37% growth uh, from 2022, which would be below the expectations that have been laid out for Tesla. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens tomorrow. Um, you know, the, the stock was up a little bit after hours, but we're going to see what happens tomorrow uh, when the market's open, how, uh, how people really feel about this report. What does it uh, mean when uh, the paper is saying one bright spot is the holding of cash? What does that mean, the holding of cash? I mean, I know it. It technically means, but what does it mean in these contexts, the well, money market funds inflows? Right. Like so if you were invested in just a basic uh, index fund uh, over the past uh, year, 2022, you would have lost uh, a reasonable amount of money, uh, depending if it was in the S&P or if it was in the uh, NASDAQ down 30% you know, for the year, uh, you would have lost a lot of money. Uh, and basically what they're saying is, is that if you held cash, you didn't lose any money, right? Mm -hmm. So we saw... A lot of funds uh -huh. moving into cash during this period of time. And, and actually, um, you know, even in our own um, investment and management uh, of our clients' funds, we were uh, also over the past uh, year or so moving uh, out of some of the uh, more riskier investments, out of some of our bond positions into cash, and also into some treasury um, uh, bonds, just trying to have a little bit of uh, – preservation mm -hmm. of some of the portfolio from the volatility that that we knew was coming uh -huh. or that we were that we were seeing so that's what it's basically saying here uh that you know that's that that cash uh that they're talking about having that uh, okay yeah okay good mm -hmm. and the then the spot. other thing that i thought was uh worthwhile just talking about a little bit was the uh, the ten year uh, Treasury bond and mm -hmm. yield? If you can just tell us again, remind the audience what we're talking about when we're talking about those ten year bonds. Yeah, so the ten year bond that's a maturity date, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's a ten year bond. So if it's purchased at its initial offering, mm -hmm. that bond will mature in ten years, and you'll get all your money back at that point. But during uh, the ten year period of time, there is an interest rate that you're being paid on that, the coupon rate, uh, and that depending on the uh, time that you purchased that bond, 
Uh, those bond uh, rates fluctuate right now. It's a little under 3.5% on the 10-year. Okay. Uh, and if you hold it to its maturity, you're going to get that every single year for that, those 10 years. You can sell them as well, though. They are um, tradable if it's something you do want to get out of. But it's very possible there could be some interest rate risk to it. It could be worth more or less depending on where interest rates are at the time you sell it. You're a great teacher, John. Thank you. You're also you a great money manager. That's why uh, we love you so much. Appreciate you, John. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, Seth. Securities and advisory services offered through Creative One Securities LLC, member of Finrich, Sipic, and Investment Advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Creative One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. We uh, check in. With our constitutional election laws expert, Brett Johnson, every Wednesday. Brett Johnson is a partner with the Snell and Wilmer Law Firm, SWLaw.com, based here in Phoenix, offices around the country. Uh, Brett's uh, reputation is uh, precedes him. But, Brett, I want to ask you about, you know, there's statutory law, there's constitutional law. And I'm beginning to wonder if we might need to learn a little bit about canon law in respect of the difference between venial sins and mortal sins when it comes to classified documents and who can <laughs> hold them and who cannot. I'm wondering if we may have to have that discussion. I kid a little bit, but I did want to talk to you a little bit about the difference of a few things. And I was I was interested. The audience may not know. I was reading an op-ed by Mark Thiessen in the Washington Post talking about some of the documents that were found at Mar-a-Lago having to do with North Korea. And what Mark Thiessen was saying is that when Donald Trump was president, he had showed these to the reporter Bob Woodward. And in doing so, ipso facto, declassified them. Is it that easy? You just do that. But there are other areas of classified documents that maybe are controlled by statute and maybe that has to do with more nuclear attached thing i don't know if i'm making any sense here but, but straighten me out on well on, well on we're how presidents about, can declassify yeah we're, we're talking about classified information so yeah. it's a, it's always confusion and and ironically as all things it goes back to kindergarten okay. on most okay. uh, items which is what is color-coded robert fulgham was right everything we needed to know yeah okay that's exactly right yeah so let me let me give a little background okay. for everybody. Okay, right. we obviously have have statutes, and we have the Constitution, and the president is the commander in chief, and et cetera. But this is really Congress has been very loath over history to get into the whole classification and what's classified and what's a national security. And and the closest that we have is the Espionage Act of 1917, as well as some criminal statutes that are associated with the administration. Like once the executive has determined something's classified. Then Title 18 kicks in if those if those documents have been determined to be um, inappropriately released, obviously given to a foreign government, kept, destroyed. There's there's a you know as, as we all know there's a law for almost everything. Yeah. But the real guiding um, fixture, and this actually came after 9/11, if you can believe it. After 9/11, because as many people may or may not know, is that the different agencies were not talking to each other, right. and that if they would have put the dots together, we may have a avoided some of the 9-11 um, terrorist attacks. And, and so President Bush, that was one of his major triggers, was we have to get a control and understanding of classified information. So it went through a whole review process, and then President Biden, that, not Biden, President Obama later on, issues executive order was called 13526. I'm going to read it again. Executive order 13526, in case anybody wants to go look it up. 
Um, and from 2009, President Trump doesn't uh, overturn that executive order, and President Biden is also living underneath the same executive order. So the actual law that we are associated with is an executive order that has been around for quite a long time and literally puts um, different requirements as to color codings and markings and who has the authority to do what in regard to classified documents. Now, to answer your question, because your supervisor, so if I'm Brett Johnson and I determine that something is secret and I mark it as secret, my supervisor technically can come and overturn that decision and it can go up the chain of command. Well, the chain of command ends with the President of the United States. Mm -hmm. Well, when the President of the United States determines that something is not to be classified anymore, it needs to be declassified because he he or she wants to share it with sometimes maybe a foreign government to maybe make a policy decision or share it um, with with people in in the domestic side to, to effectuate domestic policy. He definitely has the ability to do that. But then his staff does have to go through the proper declassification process. Oh. There's a process for everything. Remember, we're, mm-hmm. we're government, for goodness mm-hmm. sake. <laughs> yes, okay. And that means literally lining out all of the top secret and, and marking it, remarking it as declassified information. And for the records that we've been talking about for the last several months in regard to President Trump and now President Biden as when he was vice president and now Vice President Pence, they all still have the markings. Or, as I was joking in the beginning, they have the color-coded uh, frames of, uh, of, of the documents okay. on top. The for the level agent. of classification. Exactly. Okay, okay. okay. All right. So clear, clear as mud. No, no, no. It's not. So the president, it's you're, it is clear, and it's getting clearer all the time. Is the law? Does the law distinguish between a willful violation of this and not? This is the other thing I've been hearing a lot of people saying, particularly in defense of Vice President or now President Biden, but the actions he took when he was Vice President and maybe U.S. Senator. That if it was accidental or he didn't have, you know, the, the we talked a little bit about mens rea last week. If he didn't have a presence of mind Correct. of what he was doing, he may be less liable. Yes and no, right? Yes and no. And um, it, there, there is there's a, a, a concept of such reckless disregard, yeah. by the way. So right. let's make sure that, that you are so reckless in it that basically you, it, it, it becomes intentional in a yeah. way. Yeah. And for Title 18, you definitely have to be able to prove that, that they, that they did the act of taking. Remember, it's not knowing that I'm taking a classified right. document, but the act of taking a classified document and knowing that, 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 that the taking it occurred. Yeah. I, I really do see that this is going to be, and there, there has been some commentary about it, and, and I feel bad for the individuals, is, is that there are going to be some staff that are going to be held responsible for this, because okay. that is how the process is supposed to work. You determine, I'm the classifying official, and then I tell my staff what to do, and then it, it's done correctly. Now, interesting about both Vice President at the time, Biden, and Vice President Pence. Yeah. There is an argument that Vice President Cheney raised when he was in office. You might remember uh, Scooter Libby and the whole back and forth. Sure, sure. He had made an argument at that time that the executive order does not apply to him because he's technically a constitutional official. Oh. And he's not technically part of the executive. So he came to the philosophy that I, I also have a separate ability as a constitutional official to be able to make determinations as to classification. Very similarly, by the way, to the judiciary. So every judge, upon being admitted, they get their clearances to be able to, just because they are now a judge ratified by the Senate, 
they get their their classification or their classified status. Uh-huh. So very very interesting how there could be some back and forth on on this. But but also one last thing for yeah. for a defense. Sure. Their defense uh, the classific, classified items really have to be tied to national security. Yeah. If you're trying to save somebody from embarrassment, cover up from a crime, um, what you did last weekend, whatever it might be, mm-hmm. you can't classify that. It has to be really tied. Mm-hmm. So when you get presented to a jury, if this ever were to go to a jury, one of the arguments is is that that was, should never have been classified yeah. in the first place yeah. because it was, might have been a personal letter from one leader to another. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily make it classified. I got you. So it's, it's, again, it's... Well, probably it's, then this, a, is, this is probably going to end where I thought it might, which is a national... Perhaps a national debate, but certainly perhaps some Washington, D.C. legislation dealing with what has been obviously an overclassification problem going on for many decades. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And, and by the way, on the 9-11, after 9-11, yeah. they determined 90 yeah. percent of the information that they sampled was overclassified. Exactly. Brett Johnson, Snell & Wilmer Law Firm. Thank you, sir, as always. Thank you. All right. And we avoided venial and immortal sins, I think. I think we did. We'll <laughs> this, find out. This week. This <laughs> okay. week. There's always next week. <laughs> All right. Bye. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. You've probably been hearing me talk about why refi for a while now. And if you still have some questions, I want you to feel free to contact them at 888 888- Y-Refi 34. That's 888-Y-Refi 34. And they can put you in touch with many other satisfied customers who are happily investing with them. How's your IRA doing? Would you like your IRA to be earning strong fixed interest rates and not be dependent on the stock market or Joe Biden's economy? Did you know you can invest with Y-Refi through an IRA or other qualified funds? And you can keep your investment, including the high fixed interest rates you earn, tax deferred. That's right. Your money can stay in your IRA and you don't have to pay taxes on the income you earn, thanks to Y-Refi. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, R-E-F-Y.com. Or give them a call at 888-Y-REFI-34. 888-Y-REFI-34. Um, some of you may have uh, heard or be up on this issue that a uh, couple of conservative news outlets like uh, OAN, One American News, and uh, Newsmax uh, are no longer going to be on um, on the uh, on the Dish Network, and the um, it, it, it's unfortunate because of a lot of things. But it doesn't mean we still can't get you the stories. And here's Chanel Rion on a story that I think has been too elided by the mainstream media this week. Amidst swirling news of classified documents being found in the homes of Biden and Trump and the DOJ seeming double standard in the handling of both, a shocking indictment this week sheds renewed suspicion for FBI leadership. A former FBI official, once deeply connected to the now debunked Trump-Russia probes, has been arrested for his own ties to a Russian oligarch. Charles McGonagall, Saturday, earned the dubious title of being the highest-ranking FBI official charged with crimes and arrested. McGonagall was charged Monday by the Southern District of New York for working with a sanctioned Russian oligarch and for money laundering. This latest indictment serves as embarrassing fodder to an already scandalized FBI, long accused of acting the political arm of the Democrat Party, weaponized against the Trump administration. 
The details of McGonagall's charges are particularly ironic. McGonagall was arrested Saturday for working with Soviet diplomat Sergei Shestakov to try and lift sanctions tied to Russian oligarch Oleg Deripaska. But the headliner is McGonagall's own ties to the now-debunked Trump-Russia hoax. Before retiring in 2018, McGonagall was the special agent in charge of the FBI's counterintelligence division in New York. Before that, McGonagall was chief of the cybercrimes division at FBI headquarters in Washington, D.C. Got that? The guy pushing the Russian collusion hoax against Donald Trump has now been indicted for colluding with Russians. Truth is stranger than fiction, Mark Twain said. Much stranger. But to those of us who have been following this from the get-go, it's no surprise. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.